Uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is uh, John the Baptist at his baptism out there at the Jordan River. We're going to pick up in verse 29. Bless you. John 1, 29 through 34. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou seest the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost was not given to Jesus by measure. It says that, that He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And what we're reading right there is uh, John's re recount of when Jesus Himself came and was baptized by John in the river. We're going to do a study, y'all, today, and I don't know, at least one more week. It could be longer on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say it right off the bat, and I'll talk about it more as we go. We are a Spirit-filled church. We want to be a Spirit-filled church. We believe it's, it's biblical. We believe it's what God has called us to do. And we're privileged to, to, to be that, to be a Spirit-filled church. And I believe one of our themes is going to be on the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to be from John 14, 12, where Jesus said, He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And he goes on to speak in that passage. When I go, he's getting ready to tell him, Philip, I'm the way. Have you been so long with me? and you, Have you not known me? You know, where I go, you know I'm the way. And he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, who's he's going to be, he's with you, he's going to be in you, and so forth. And it was in context of that, that he that believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. This is in, in conjunction with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I want to lay out some things. We're going to talk about it. And uh, it's similar to the, the Foundations book that we're studying, just going through some fundamentals. I really feel uh, impressed by the Lord to preach this and to teach this this week and however many weeks we go, whether it's one or two more, I'm not sure. I want you to turn, to, uh, keep your spot, because we're going to go back there, but keep your spot marked in John 1 and turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Matthew 3, 11. This is the same um, baptism of John. And John says in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. That's the Lord Jesus, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Skip down to verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. 
Now, if you turn back to that account we opened with in John chapter 1, John was given testimony. God, John was bearing record. He did not come to bear record of himself. He wasn't coming around saying, I'm John, follow me. I'm John, follow me. He had a specific calling of God upon his life. And it was to bear witness or testify of the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. that had been long prophesied about. Isaiah, John the Baptist himself was prophesied about. In Isaiah and some of the other books, as Jeremiah, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, prepare the way of the Lord, right? Make straight his path. So he's coming. He has a following. People were coming from all the, the regions about and going out in the middle of the nowhere, the middle of wilderness, because God was drawing them out there. And he lived out there more in the fashion of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist was almost like the last of the Old Testament prophets, you would say. <clears throat> but he was preaching repentance of sins. He was preaching, get your hearts ready. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. The Savior is coming, the long-awaited Messiah that had been prophesied about all the way from Genesis chapter 3, a Savior was promised, okay? And so it wasn't about John. It was about the one John was introducing. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why he's saying, look, I'm baptizing y'all with water. This is what, what the, the, he that called me to baptize with water is the same one that said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit ascending. You'll see it. The Holy Spirit ascending upon and abiding upon him the same as him that, that you're bearing record of. And the same as he, not only that you're bearing record of, but the one that you see the Holy Spirit descended upon and remaining. And John says, I saw the Spirit abide upon him. It abode upon him. And he says, and I'm bearing record that this is the Son of God. The one that the Holy Spirit's going to remain upon is the one that's going to baptize men in the Holy Ghost and fire. Right? We read two, two passages about it. And so... Uh, this is the one that's going to do it. I remember uh, reading a book about by R.A. Torrey. Have any of y'all read anything by R.A. Torrey? He's, uh, I haven't run, you know, it's, you hate to endorse anybody because after you do, then you find out something horrible they did or, or whatever. But uh, I haven't come across anything that I've read about his life or his doctrine that doesn't seem wonderful, that I, I'm in agreement with it. He was a contemporary of D.L. Moody's, a little bit younger, but their lives overlapped and they worked together at, in, in the same city and the same ministry. But he wrote a book and he was talking about when, he, when the Lord first called him to preach. He would study and like agonize all week long. He was not what we would consider, he didn't consider himself like a public speaker, okay, at all. It was the furthest thing from him. And so he would agonize and the devil would just torment him about you know, in seven days you're going to have to preach and get up in front of the in six days, you're in five. It was like a countdown and he was agonizing over it. He was a pastor of this church and he had been to seminary and everything and he would get up in the pulpit and he would grip the pulpit really tight to where his knuckles were white and he would get through his sermon that morning and he would plop down in the chair and, and just start sweating and think, you know, thank God that's over with. And, uh, and the devil would instantly start tormenting and saying, yeah, but you got to go do it again in seven days. And he was just agony. This is the early part of his ministry. He loved the Lord. He was a Christian. He had been to seminary. He was called to preach. But that's what the reality of it was like for him. And said until he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was already saved. He was born again. He was going to heaven. But he got the gift of the Holy Ghost that we just read about. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire not too many days from now. That's what we read. 
And he received this. Ari Tori received that. And he said after that, all that fear was gone. There's nothing he liked better than preaching because he said whenever he stepped in that pulpit, and it was a reality before, but it became more of a reality to him after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says when he stepped in that pulpit, he knew the Lord was right there with him. He knew it. And he was he just wanted to be with the Lord. And the Lord was in that pulpit. And when he stood up there, it was like the Lord was standing beside him, like with His arm around him, helping him. And he said it was a joy. And he never agonized about it, not in that sense, okay? Maybe agonized over a sermon or something like that. But as far as the dread that the devil was just tormenting him about, he never had that anymore. His life was changed. And I just want to to speak about the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to speak about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want to lay a groundwork uh, for this. I can testify, and I will probably in some of these messages coming up, the difference that the baptism of the Holy Spirit made in my own life. Many of you would have similar testimonies. And it's not that you're any more Christian. It's not that you're any more uh, fit for heaven. We've talked about that in the Foundations book. We're robed in the righteousness of Christ. Every believer... Is, is fit for heaven because of the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ. But it's a wonderful gift that God wants to give us. I have a lot of scriptures that I want to give, but I want to start out by just talking about the Holy Spirit for just a minute. And so this is going to be a study slash sermon. It's going to be sort of a in-between, a little bit of both. But uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not just a force or not just uh, an it or something like that. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead that we worship. We believe in a Trinity. And this is not a study on the Trinity, but I want to say that. Um, where, where some people have a misunderstanding that the, the, the Holy Spirit is more like uh, a force that just simply represents the power of God or a move of God. You know, or I felt the Holy Spirit because God was moving. But... That may be. We might feel the Holy Spirit at times when, as God's moving. But the point is, the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father is. And as much God as the Son is. There's an eternal Godhead and a Trinity. And I just wanted to read this. This is from Foundations Volume 2, but it's a quote from A.W. Tozer. I just want to read one little part. He says um, about the Trinity, The three persons are three, but the one God is one. And this we believe. So when this is Tozer again, so when I talk about God, I mean the three persons of the Trinity. You can't separate them. You can't have God the Father except you have God the Son. You can't have God the Spirit unless you have the Father and the Son. For the Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son. And he goes on to make a prayer. Lord, I don't completely understand the Trinity, but it is clearly taught in Scripture, and I will accept it because your word is true. How awesome that you can be both three persons and yet one God. Okay, and I, I just thought it was a wonderful statement. This, again, is not a study on the Trinity, but when we read that scripture in Matthew where Jesus, the Son, is standing in the water and He's baptized and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descends upon Him and lo, a voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my beloved Son. You see in a picture right there, the Trinity. You have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the voice from heaven the Father speaking. We don't believe like oneness uh, churches that it's Jesus only. Salvation only in the name of Jesus. I understand that. He's only Savior. But we don't believe in Jesus only in the sense of that's the entire Godhead. It's very clear in the Scripture. 
And, and again, that's a study for another day. But we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to talk uh, about, I wanted to talk for just a moment about uh, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Okay, each, each person of the Trinity has their office, so to speak. And yet they're one God. Uh, the, he's, the Holy Spirit is referred to as He, not it, as I mentioned. Okay, it's not some Star Wars force. This is the Lord that we worship. But some of His names, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Eternal Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Living God, and on and on. And He was part of creation. He was there. So you, when you open your Bible and begin read it like a book, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And what? The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light and there was light so we see the holy spirit there even there the holy spirit gives witness or testifies these are important things if you are taking notes this is going to be the kind of study i think it would be good um, to take notes the holy spirit testifies of the lord the holy spirit one of his offices or ministries is He's the God of all comfort. He comforts our hearts. He gives us understanding of the Word of God. But He testifies of Jesus. And that's what Jesus said of Him. He's not going to come just speaking about Himself. He's going to come and He's going to bear witness of the light. Just like John the Baptist did, okay? He's coming to bear witness of the light. And, uh, and so it says, But the Comforter, whom the, which is, this is John 14, 26, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So think about it. Have you ever wondered how in the world, I've wondered about it, for example, how did these, uh, John, John the Apostle wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John. A lot of scholars think about 60 years after Jesus died and rose again. That's a long time. I can hardly remember what happened last week. And for him to write in detail these chapters in the Gospel of John, you know, specific things that Jesus said and miracles that he did, how would he, how did he remember that 60 years later? He was probably in his 90s, you know, on the island of Patmos. And how did he do that? But we just read that the Holy Ghost that Jesus foretold before he died, that I'm going to send the Holy Ghost, the Father's going to send him in my name. He's going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Have you noticed it in your own life? Clarissa was talking about, you know, witnessing to some to, to different people. Have you ever noticed in your own life that uh, there's times when you might be thrust into a situation where you're called upon, you know, Federico, you're sharing a uh, testimony in five minutes. Get ready. You know what I mean? Remember when we were in Panama running through the hospital, not Honduras, running through the hospital and, and, uh, and, and we were witnessing to everybody and all these wings of the hospital. It was crazy. And we got separated, and I said, Federico, you're going to have to translate for me. And you didn't want to. And it was like, <laughs> you got to do it. Uh, you never know when you're going to be thrust into a situation to witness or to teach or to preach or to testify. And I remember two ladies got saved in one room in two beds right there. It was amazing. But when you're put in those positions, God by the Holy Spirit can bring those things back out of you. 
they have to go in at some point, but the Holy Spirit, like we talked about last week about what do we say in those moments of persecution, for example. Take no thought what you're going to say beforehand. It says your Father will give you a mouth and wisdom to speak in that moment. It's not you that speaks, but the Spirit of the Father. So the Lord brings it to remembrance and He brings it to our mouth. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know I knew that Scripture. Well, at some point you learned it. You don't remember. That's what I almost call like the daily grind of maybe just reading your Bible and reading the devotionals and, and nothing really exciting seems to be happening. But something exciting is happening. It's just like you watching the grass grow. You don't see it grow, but you know it grows. Or watching your kids grow. You, if you say, I want to sit here, I'm going to watch Lexi grow for a little while. You know, you wouldn't see it. But Lexi's growing, okay? And so it's, it's the intake of the Word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit he illuminates our minds, reveals the things of God to us. And when it's time for it to come back out, praise God, it comes back out by the Holy Spirit. And so God brings it to our remembrance. Now I want to talk a little bit more. So the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. It says, when the Holy Ghost has come, I, who I'll send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds of the Father, he shall testify of me. It's important that we understand that the Holy Ghost doesn't just go around talking about the Holy Ghost. And there's nothing wrong with having a sermon about the Holy Spirit like we're doing today or teachings or whatever. But if everything was always focused around just the Holy Ghost, we need to move with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, I feel the Holy Ghost, everything was just the Holy Ghost. Now understand what I'm saying. Somebody could be out of balance to where it's just the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost came to testify of me, Jesus said. He's going to glorify Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that in our own lives as well. And so uh, the two scriptures I gave you for taking those were John 14, 26 and John 15, 26 about that. Now, uh, he gives us understanding of the word of God. The Bible says, but as it is written, eyes not seen, neither ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But the spirit has revealed them unto them, unto them. So the Holy Spirit takes the deep things of God, it says, the things of God, you the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit does it, and He's the only one that can do it. To give us understanding. This is deep. It's simple, but it's deep. Okay? It has nothing to do with your intellect or your IQ. It has to do with the revelation of God's Spirit taking the simple truths of His Word, the profound truths of His Word, and making them real to me. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and for us, okay? Again, he's a person, not a force. Just give you some of the traits. The Bible says he can be grieved, he can be quenched, he can speak. Okay, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, for example. In Revelation, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. In the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. So the Holy Spirit can speak. Uh, he can be lied to, as Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, why, have, why has the devil put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, to tempt God, and to lie to the Holy Spirit? And so again, he's not just this force. He can come upon people. He can, he can depart. In the Old Testament, we'll look at that. David says, uh, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. This was an Old Testament saint uh, speaking in that. And so the Holy Spirit is not new, I guess is what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is not just a force, and the Holy Spirit is not new to the New Testament or new to the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit is the eternal Spirit of God. We understand that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that was new at the day of Pentecost. That was a promise 
in a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2. So that was new. The way that He came upon men. The way that He indwelt men and so forth. That was new. But I want to look at this for just a minute. Does anybody know? I know you all know this. In the Old Testament, what would be the difference in the Holy Spirit's relationship to a believer? There were believers in the Old Testament, right? Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God. It's counted to him for righteousness. Enoch walked with God. He pleased, with, pleased God. Joshua, Moses, David, Samuel. All these men and women of God that walked with the Lord. There were, the Holy Spirit was still living. And the Holy Spirit was still moving upon the earth. And He was still the third person of the Trinity. What was the difference in the, in the Holy Spirit's relationship to believers then and say now? The Holy Spirit, I know you know this, would come upon people. We're just given a clear teaching. The Holy Spirit would come upon men. He would come upon women. And maybe they would prophesy. He would come upon someone. And I just want to give this. Again, here if you're taking, if you're taking uh, notes, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 10. And then I'm going to read uh, from Judges as well. But 1 Samuel 10, this is dealing with Saul, King Saul. Remember when he was, the, he was the biggest guy in Israel, head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked like a king. If people wanted a king, Samuel anointed him to be a king. When he was a big person, but he was humble and he was little in his own eyes. And, and Samuel was telling him, he said, here's what's going to happen. I mean, this is just going on. He just anointed him king. He said, you're going to leave here and, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord's going to come upon you. You're going to meet some prophets and you're going to meet some people going up to the house of God. You're going to prophesy with these prophets and the, the mules you've been looking for, the donkeys, somebody's going to come to you and say, we found them. There was like three or four specific prophecies. And Samuel said, Saul, as soon as you leave me today, these things are going to happen. I just want to read this from 1 Samuel 10, 6. And the Spirit of the Lord, Samuel said, will come upon thee. Come upon thee, right? And thou shalt prophesy with them. This is the prophets. And thou shalt be turned into another man. A little bit later, verse 10, And when they came there to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he prophesied among them. It was a spiritual thing. It was a good thing. The Holy Spirit came upon this man, and he prophesied. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell him as in our day, in the church age, okay? And he certainly wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit as in the Pentecostal age of what we're going to talk about. I'll give you one more example real quickly. I'm going to read it from Judges chapter 13, 24, and 25. This is dealing with Samson. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. And it goes on to say, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp between, uh, of Dan between Zor and Eshtaol. So the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. Samuel, we, I mean, uh, Samson, we think of him for his power, but it really probably wasn't. He, I, I don't know that he necessarily looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know that he was necessarily in all the little cartoons of kids, comic, uh, Christian comic books. We see Samson just, you know, and uh, looks like like Conan the Barbarian or something. And, and really, y'all, he might have been. He might have been very physically fit, but he wasn't strong enough to kill a thousand men with a, a bone. Okay, he wasn't strong enough to rip iron gates out of the stone and carry him over his head out of the city. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord began to move him. 
And behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him or twisted him as he would have rent a kid or a baby calf or goat or something. And he had nothing in his hand when he did it. And another scripture says, uh, anyway, just how the Spirit of God came upon him. All right? Came upon him. So we see that in the Old Testament saints where the Holy Spirit would come upon them and yet not indwell them. Not indwell them. That's significant. Now, here, here's another basic teaching on the baptism, on the Holy Spirit in general. Every single born again, now we're talking about our day, every time since the resurrection of Jesus is the church age, right? That's our era that we're living in. From now to the rapture is the church age. Every single born again person, if they're truly saved, Methodist, Baptist, Episcopalian, whatever, if they're truly saved, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It's very important that we understand that. It's wrong, and I've heard people say it. I've heard it because I've basically spent my Christian life in spirit-filled type churches. And I've heard people say in spirit-filled churches about, let's say, a Baptist or about a Methodist or somebody else that maybe is not in a spirit-filled church or they themselves are not spirit-filled people. And they'll say, oh, they need the Holy Ghost. They don't have the Holy Ghost. And I understand what they mean, but it's not actually right what we're saying. If they're saved, they have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to give you some scriptures real quickly. John 3.5, 3, uh, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who came to him secretly by night. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, capital S right there. Unless a man is born of water and the whole, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he talks about being born of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Did you hear that? What? Know ye? He's just speaking of believers. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own. Alright, so that every believer, if we're saved... The Holy Spirit takes up residency. The promise that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that's for that person too. Even if they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Okay? And I just, I just think it's uh, something that we would do good to be careful and use, kind of getting lax with our words. It's almost, there can be almost like a mocking or a ridicule, like the frozen chosen over there. You know? The frozen chosen, they need the Holy Ghost. Boy, they need the Holy Ghost. And really, they might need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they just hadn't been taught. Maybe their church doesn't believe it. Maybe they grew up in a church from a little kid that they didn't ever hear it taught correctly. Pray for them. Pray for an opportunity to talk to them. Share, share the Scriptures with them. They have the same Bible we do, the same Savior we do, the same Scriptures and the same promises of the Holy Ghost are for them that are for us in a Spirit-filled church. They're not a lesser of a Christian. We don't look down our noses. You know, it's some, and I'm not saying y'all do any of that. I know that probably in your lifetime you've seen believers, spirit-filled believers that have sort of uh, demeaned, I guess you would say, non-spirit-filled believers. Now, should they be baptized in the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. The Lord wants them to, okay? But that's not the point. The point is, they're still washed in the same blood of Jesus you are. And I'm going to worship with them forever and ever in heaven. And I can fellowship with them. And I can go to the prisons and minister with them. Okay? 
Um, so we need just to, just to be careful. They're not lesser of a Christian. They're not a second-rate Christian or anything like that. They have a gift that they've come short of. They have a gift that God has for them that they're missing out on. And I said, a lot of churches, and we'll talk about this maybe next week, but a lot of churches, they just don't have that in their doctrine. They might just uh, gloss over it. In other words, you never even hear it mentioned at all. That would be different to me from a church that would blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Great, greatly different. I could be in a church, maybe I'm visiting out of town or on vacation, I'm not in my home church. I can go to a church that may not, quote, be a spirit-filled church, as long as they're preaching the truth and worshiping the Lord. If they blaspheme the Holy Spirit or said that's of the devil, that speaking in tongues is of the devil or things like that, I'm going to get up and walk out because they've gone, they've crossed the line. They've gone too far. So just, just remember that. But every saved person has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Turn to your Bibles. I want you to read this important scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Then we're going to skip down to verse 14. Romans 8 and 9, first of all. These are ones you ought to highlight in your Bible if, if you're writing your Bible or take notes. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. There's a period right there. That's pretty simple, right? If a person does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, they don't belong to the Lord. They don't belong to the Lord even if they're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. If they have the Holy Spirit living in them, they belong to God. Alright, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself, that's the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, that's the spirit of man, the saved man in this case, that we are the children of God. So the Holy Spirit is taking up residence and lives in every born-again man. You can't be born again and be saved without the Holy Spirit. Y'all understand that, right? Very clear in the Scriptures. And y'all, it has to be clear in the Scriptures. That's where we have to see it. Okay? And that's where we just saw it. And I'm sure there's probably other passages as well. Now, um, I want to talk about this for just a moment. In the Bible, I know of at least four, and there's probably more. I have done in-depth study on it. At least four baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. Okay? And I want to just hit these real quick. In every different baptism, you have the baptizer. That's the one like, say, John the Baptist, who's doing the baptizing. You have the baptizee, or the person getting baptized. And then you have the agent, or what are they being baptized into? All right? And so let's just look at it real quickly. The four that I have, if you're taking notes, is the baptism of John the Baptist. It's over. That's historical. It served its purpose. John served his purpose, right, as being the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But he says that I, I baptize uh, in water for the repentance of sins. That was when people came to John the Baptist's baptism, he was also preaching out there. And he was preaching about the coming of Christ and get ready and make straight his paths and so forth. Every mountain's going to be leveled and every valley's going to be filled in and we're making a path for the Lord. Get yourself ready to meet him. He's at hand. And then finally he points up and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He says, I'm coming down to the, to the river. Okay? But his baptism is historical. It's over. 
And he baptized men in water for repentance of sins. And basically, the repentance is a turning. They were turning to get themselves ready to meet Christ. All right? If they were serious about it, then they submitted to John's baptism. That's over with. The next, and I would say this is the most important um, baptism, would be baptism into the body of Christ, which is another term for salvation. Again, these things are important, y'all. Baptism into the body of Christ, which is another term for salvation or being born again. It's referred to as, as being baptized into the, the body of Christ. And I'll just read a, a scripture here. It says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. All right, One Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, whether bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. Also, another, that was from... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but Galatians 3, 26 and 27, another very clear scripture. Where <coughs> baptism into Christ is simply salvation. Before you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, or I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I was baptized into the body of Christ. You have to be. A lost person can't be baptized in the Holy Ghost. All right? So first things first, we get baptized into Christ, that's salvation. The next baptism would be baptism in water. And, and here again, the baptizer would be the minister, the pastor, who's ever baptizing a, a new believer. Okay? And the believer's the one getting baptized into water. And so that would be the agent. And what we're talking about, to, and, and that's all through the Scriptures as well, right? And, and the uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch was a great picture in Acts chapter 8, I believe, where it talks about that. But um, what we're talking about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that's always, always subsequent to salvation. It's after. It can never come before. You know, there's been some cultic-type uh, religious groups that have come through. I don't remember how many years ago it was, the Way International. Remember that? Anybody ever heard of the Way International? How many years ago was that? 25? Dee and I were working with the youth. And, and FNT, and uh, I know Glory House was in full swing. Actually, Glory House is the one that told us about it. And it said that the Way International is coming to town, coming to Baton Rouge. And they're this horrible, uh, false teaching. And we want y'all to go spread the word. We took our youth group at the time, might have been 10 or 15 kids, and we print out all these little flyers about the Way International. And they're going to be having their meetings at the Centriplex or whatever. Don't go. Don't go to them. You know, we're going to warn people about it. And we, we went to the hotel where they stayed, where these people stayed, and we put it on all the doors, and we asked the, the, uh, the, night, man the night manager of the hotel, could we do it? And he said, sure. And, and uh, Anyway, the, the, what the Way International would, would do, it wasn't save people. They weren't talking about getting saved. They were talking about speaking in tongues. The whole thing was about exhibiting the gifts of the Spirit. And let's say Michael Powell comes and I would just, and you just come off the street and you want to be part of what's going on here. The whole course would be to teach him how to speak in tongues. I'm going to teach him not about salvation and the blood of Jesus and repentance and the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is subsequent to salvation for believers. And, and the, people would, the people would teach him to do something. And so... The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues is just that. It's a gift. It's not taught. It's not learned. We're endued with power from on high. It's a gift that God gives. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. 
And it's not something that's taught. Now, you might can encourage people biblically and scripturally and tell them, hey, you know, you're going to feel that stirring in your belly. The Bible talks about out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And you need to speak that forth and let God have his way, surrender fully. I don't think that's unbiblical at all. But to teach somebody, repeat after me, and you speak in a prayer language, some unknown tongue, that is not what's taught in the Scriptures. You never see that taught in the Scriptures. Okay? And you never see a lost person baptized in the Holy Ghost. You never see a lost person uh, with genuine tongues speaking in tongues. Okay? Couldn't be. It have to be made up thing. Now, there's there's uh, demons that can impersonate tongues. The, the, the devil's going to call down fire from heaven, the Bible says. What is it if he can get somebody to jibber-jabber in some language? Okay? And so there's a lot of perversions of it, I guess is what I'm saying. But true baptism in the Holy Spirit, the baptizer is Jesus. We read the Scriptures. I will send Him. The Father will send Him in My name. John the Baptist said, He that comes after me is mightier than I. I baptize in water. He will baptize you in with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So it's very clear Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. The believer is the baptizee getting baptized. And the agent that we're put into is not water in this case. We're actually placed into the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to try to picture that in your minds a little bit. Because you might say, well, what's the difference between being saved and you said a believer already has the Holy Ghost living in them. And now you're talking about a baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? The difference is what the Bible says the difference is. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses or living martyrs is basically what it means unto me in this whole world. Okay? And you're going to receive power when? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's a gift. And so, uh, if you picture it this way, the Lord Jesus taking me, I'm already saved, and putting me into the Holy Ghost, that is a different picture than me saying, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior at salvation, which He does, and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and He's, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. He's contained, right, in me in that sense. And I know it's, it's a bit of a mystery. I can't claim to perfectly give you the illustrations for everything. But if he takes now that believer, the Lord Jesus, and places us into the Holy Ghost, that is something different, right? That is something different. I could drink a sip of water and I have water in me. I could jump in a swimming pool or a lake and be under it and I'm all in it, you see? And I know these pictures might, might not suffice. The pictures that I give, and I'll grant that, they might not suffice. But we can look at the Scriptures and see what the Bible says. There's a baptizing into the Holy Ghost where the believer is placed in the Holy Ghost. So that's, that's the four baptisms that are given. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit, y'all, is prophesied about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is foretold in, this, in the Bible, right? And I want to give you some Scriptures on that. We'll read a few, but I'm also just going to give a few out. Um, Joel, in Joel chapter, I believe chapter 2, Joel talked about, you know, what Peter experienced on Pentecost and the other 120 that were in the upper room. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he, he quoted it. You know, you're, you're, you're going to dream visions and, and, and all these type of things that are going to go on. 
But Jesus said that to tarry in... This is Jesus after He rose from the dead. He was alive for 40 days and appeared to His disciples before He ascended. And He still had a ministry during that time. He said, Behold, I send the promise of My Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Very clear. After the resurrection, and, and this is still to come, Jesus is saying, you wait in Jerusalem. And it was about 10 days later, 40 days from the resurrection, Jesus ascended. About 10 days after the ascension, the promise of the Holy Spirit, this gift that was just spoken of, came on the day of Pentecost. All right? That was Luke 24, 49. That's Scripture right there. I want you to turn your Bibles and look at a couple more Scriptures real quickly. John 7, verse 37. And then the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me. That's the first prerequisite. As the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. That was future, okay? For the Holy Ghost was not yet given... Not in that way, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He hadn't died and risen from the dead yet and ascended. And so that was a, that's a very clear prophecy. It tells us this is speaking about the gift of the Holy Ghost, which they that believe are going to receive after Christ is, is risen from the dead. Okay, and after he's glorified. We'll read one more passage real quick, quickly, and then I want, uh, I want to talk about it. Let's look at Romans, I mean, I'm sorry, John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient or necessary for me that I go away, for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him, not it, him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world or convict, convince the world of what? Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. And so there's another uh, scripture, a passage about it. Now, um, the Lord told, He commanded His children in Acts chapter 1, when He was about to descend, He led them out to the, the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem, and the handful of believers on this whole planet were there with Him. And He says, but you, you uh, wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with this power from on high. The Bible says He commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem yet. It's important, y'all. And I know that this is like a lesson, and maybe... I pray it's not dry to you. I'm trying to lay a groundwork here. But he commanded them, don't you leave Jerusalem until you're endued with this powerful mountain high. He commanded them. Because they thought they were ready. They probably thought they were ready, right? They probably thought they were ready to go take the world for Christ. And in their minds they thought they were. And maybe in their hearts their love for God was genuine. And they certainly knew the gospel. They were eyewitnesses. They knew the Lord. 
They knew the right gospel to preach, but they weren't ready. And Jesus knew they weren't ready. There's a gift I have for you, and then you'll be ready. Don't leave Jerusalem yet. He commanded them. And then he requoted the promise. Wait for the promise. What's the promise? The one that you've heard of me. You'll be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And from that time, they watched him go up in the clouds. And the angel said, why do you stare up into heaven, you men of Judea or whatever? The same Jesus that you saw go is going to come again in like manner. And they went, and there was 120, about 120, the Bible says. They gathered together in the upper room, and they prayed. And they prayed until they received. It was about 10 days, as I said. I think that was 10 days was the day, the Feast of Pentecost. And that's when the Lord gave this blessing. But it didn't just come. It's like Jesus didn't just pop on the scene with no forewarning. Y'all understand that? That would be weird. It would be weird if the most important event, uh, event in the whole history of mankind was like a surprise. And we're over here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we turn on Fox News and we hear about some guy in Bethlehem or in Judea, Judea that says, I'm the Savior of the world. And we never knew anything about it before. You see what I mean? That would be... But the Lord gave all those prophecies about Jesus' first coming. He'll be born of a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Thou Bethlehem of Ephrathah, of thee shall be... You know, he'll ride on a, a donkey that had never been ridden on before. And people are going to say, Hosanna in the highest. He'll make his grave with the rich and the wicked. You know what I mean? Uh, all these th different things. By his stripes, we're going to be healed. He's not going to open his mouth. He's going to be taken and the sins of the world will be placed upon him. All these prophecies about Jesus. Okay, a bone won't be broken. He'll be pierced through. Uh, they'll part his garments. You can go on and on. Why, do, why are so many specific prophecies? Because when he did come, like Dave Hunt used to say, that gave his address. In the whole history of mankind, it pointed to one man. It pointed to one event, one person that couldn't be mistaken. Jesus. Okay? And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, it was foretold. So it wasn't just drunk as you suppose. This wasn't just some weird thing. Well, that's fine for you and Peter and y'all over there, but we love God and we don't know anything about that over there. No, it's biblical. It's prophesied about. Jesus spoke of it. I'll give you some more scriptures. I'm not going to read them for time's sake. John 14, 15 through 17. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, and 15 through 18. Acts 1, 4, and 5. And Acts 2, 38 and 39. Now, the, the gift of the Holy Ghost, y'all, I said this before, is just that it's a gift. We don't develop it. Okay, athletic abilities, some people are just born naturally and they're fast and they're strong and they have the right body frame for certain sports. That would be a gift in a sense that they have whether they know Jesus or not, right? And you could take that same person or somebody with lesser physical abilities and train them and they can get better at their sport. Maybe never as good as this guy over here. I'll never be able to jump, okay? Uh, maybe in heaven. But, uh, or run fast. So, but we can be, there can be gifts that I guess are talents you could exercise and develop more. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not that. It is a gift of God. And the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? From above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's a gift. 
It's an endowment. It's an endowment. And just come and say, Anna, here it is. Bam. And just give it to her. She didn't develop it. She didn't earn it. She didn't work for it. It wasn't a process or steps. She's a believer. She prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift that God gives. Like salvation. Okay? It's not salvation, but it's like salvation. And it's a promise from the Father to believers. Who's it for? It's Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and you'll, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost as well. For this promise is for you and for your children and for as many as the Lord our God shall call and to them that are far, far off, right? The gift of the Holy Ghost specifically is for anybody that will believe in the Lord Jesus. It didn't end on the day of Pentecost. It didn't die out with the apostles. That's an argument that you're here among believers against the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to save that for another, uh, for another uh, sermon or another lesson. I want to get into that. The last thing I really want to talk about today is I want to look at three different scriptures and see three different ways that the Holy Spirit interacted with men. We looked at Old Testament saints, right? Samson and Saul, for example. I want, to, I want you to look at John chapter 14, verse 17. It's our last thought for the day, pretty much. John 14, 17. Okay, we read, we read the previous verses, so I'm going to just pick up on that one verse. Speaking about the Comforter, who I'm going to send, He'll be with you forever, Jesus said in verse 16. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. It doesn't say doesn't want to receive even. It says the world cannot receive. Alright? Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwells where? With you and shall be as future in you. It's before Jesus went to the cross. So I just want us to see the best we can biblically at this time even with the disciples. Picture them more as like Old Testament saints. Okay? They're living in the day of Jesus, but they're still living before the cross and before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They're living before that. So at this time, Jesus is foretelling. And He's saying, when I go, don't be sad. I'm going to send the Comforter. He's with you and will abide with you forever. He's not some cheap second-rate substitute. He'll, He'll take my place until you get to heaven one day and die. He's the third person of the Trinity. Okay? He's going to glorify me. He'll be with you always. He's with you, dwells with you, even then. The Holy Spirit, I imagine, would dwell with Abraham, with David, with godly men and women in the Old Testament, right? John the Baptist, even even he was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, from his mother's womb. But he dwells with you and shall shall be in you. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 20. Verse 22. Well, let's pick up verse 21. This is during that 40-day period after the resurrection when Jesus was meeting with His disciples. He appeared to them on several occasions. And He says in John 20, 21, Then said Jesus to them, He appeared to them. Okay, all of a sudden He appeared to them and said, Peace be unto you, to His disciples. As My Father has sent Me, even so send I you. So He's saying, The Lord sent Me into the world to be a light to the world. Right? The Savior of the world, I'm sending you to be light and salt. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now that's interesting. 
I've studied a lot of commentaries you might have. I've heard from people that I trust, okay, commentaries that are good, three or four different explanations for this. I'm going to tell you what I believe. This is not something we part fellowship over, okay? This is not in our doctrinal statement. I'm going to tell you from my study and what I believe. We just read earlier before the cross where he says, He's with you, he shall be in you. After he died and rose again, he's with his disciples, and he says, he breathes on them and says, receive you the Holy Ghost. Now, some people say that was just them agreeing that, okay, we're going to receive the Holy Ghost in about 10 days. Maybe. But I believe, again, you may believe something differently, and if you can show me from the Scriptures, I'll be glad to talk about it. This is not going to split. This is not a fundamental of our faith. But I believe that at that point, they received the Holy Ghost in the sense of, like I said, every believer has the Holy Ghost living inside of them. So even somebody not baptized, obviously they weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost yet. That came very clearly at the day of Pentecost. So what happened in John 20, verse 22, when he breathes on them, something took place. I believe that he said, receive you the Holy Ghost. And I believe that's when they were, quote, this is me, okay, born again. Some Bible scholars agree with that. This is when they were really would have been born again. They were saved by faith, like an Old Testament saint. But something new on this side of the cross, even for not unpentecostal people, I guess you would say, would be the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Receive you the Holy Ghost and He breathed on them. I think that's when they, the Holy Spirit came to live in them. He's with He dwells with you and shall be in you. And I personally think that's where that took place. If you don't, that's okay. But I know, I know the first part was right. He dwells with you and shall be in you. I know He's in the life of every believer now. And I know in Acts chapter 2, something very profound. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, this happened very quickly. You know, you wait, you wait, you wait, and then suddenly. All right? There came a, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is obviously something new. This is profound. This was prophesied about. This was the fulfillment of it. Don't confuse this with anything else. Don't confuse this with this is, this is just when they got saved. No, this isn't. The gospel wasn't even preached. It has nothing to do with them believing or confessing or being washed in the blood of Jesus. That had already taken place. They were saved. I believe they were born again at this point. It says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened there was that they received the gift. God gave the gift that He had prophesied about in all those Scriptures. And they, they received and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And the initial evidence of that, not the purpose of it, but the initial evidence of it, was they all spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I'm going to go back to this. We're going to close. Uh, we are and we desire to be this church, a Spirit-filled church. Why do we believe and want to be that, desire to be that? Because I believe it's biblical. I believe it's amazing. I think it's an amazing gift of God. And I want to be, and I want us to be. There might be some people sitting in this room right now that are saved, 
and not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I pray you will be. I pray even during this, this next few weeks as we study this, you would pray for and receive this gift. It's not just salvation. Although salvation is great, okay? There's a gift that God gives to believers subsequent to salvation. And it's for us. He desires it. He intends it for His people. It's a very intentional thing. It's not just some optional thing where, oh, that, that's fine for Peter, but I don't really want that or need that or not interested in it don't know much about it. I don't believe we're to be indifferent about it. We certainly are not to be embarrassed about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or that I'm a Spirit-filled believer or we're a Spirit-filled church. Now, I'm not talking about uh, that can carry a bad connotation because there's so many perversions we've seen. We're going to talk about that probably more next week. Perversions in what is called the, a move of the Holy Spirit or a Spirit-filled church or a Spirit-filled ministry or whatever, right? Spirit-filled service where it's charismatic and again, the gold dust is coming down and they're barking like dogs and a lot of things out of order that are unbiblical, unscriptural. The Holy Spirit is blamed for a lot of things, y'all, that are not the Holy Spirit. And the way we can tell the difference is go to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit living inside of you will bear witness. Is it glorifying Jesus Christ? Because that's the Holy Spirit. If it's not, if it's glorifying a man, if it's glorifying a ministry or a church, or drawing attention to the individual over here that, that's uh, crawling around and barking like a dog at the altar, that's not of God, okay? And it can be more subtle than that and still be not of God. The point is that, uh, and I, I'm, I'm closing with this thought, the devil, I believe Satan, the Bible talks about the devil blinding the minds of people that don't believe, lost men in this world, right? lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon them and right, and they be converted and be saved. He, the devil doesn't want lost men to be saved, does he? Absolutely not. He's already got them. The whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. So he's got his camp over here, and he just wants to keep them in the darkness and don't let them go to the light. And don't let the light come in here and disturb my people. That's the way he sees it and wants to keep his camp. All right? All right, let's say some people do get saved, and they are, praise God, we're saved. He pulled us, the Lord pulled us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I believe that the devil battles just as intently to keep these new believers over here from being baptized in the Holy Spirit as he did from, he battled to keep a lost man from coming to Christ. Now, I can't prove that scripturally. I'm just telling you, I believe Satan works very hard to keep Christians from believing in, praying for, and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at all the ways he does that. Okay? Some are very sophisticated. Oh, we can show you that that passed away with the apostles or, or whatever. And one of the biggest ways he does it is by the perversions of it. Let's say Chuck's saved, but he's not baptized in the Holy Ghost. And Chuck is, is, turns on the TV and he sees Benny Hinn on there. And Benny Hinn, this big known uh, worldwide preacher, claims to be spirit-filled. But he sees Benny Hinn in a big crusade like the Assembly Center with, you know, 15,000 people. He sees Benny Hinn pretending to ball up the Holy Spirit in a ball and pick out Connie in the back row and throw the Holy Spirit at Connie and hits Connie and she goes down to the floor. 
You know, we kind of laugh at that. But let's say Chuck was a serious follower of God and a true Christian. I'm just picking on Chuck this morning because I don't get to because he's not here all the time. And Chuck, Chuck's watching that. And he's already been praying about it, you know, and, and just not sure, is it biblical? And he sees that. What is he going to think? Here's a man claiming he's popular. He's got 20,000 people there. He's written books and people follow him all over the world. And he's saying, this is a move of the Holy Ghost. This is what it's like to be Spirit-filled. Or take his coat and throw it on somebody and they fall over on the platform. Or I'm going to act like I'm drunk in the Holy Spirit on the platform. Me and Peter, we're going to both be speaking in tongues like we're drunk and the whole church is watching us like we're drunk, falling over. We're telling jokes to each other in the Holy Ghost. Now, we laugh. That happens. I've seen videos of it, so I'm not making it up. Well-known preachers quote Spirit-filled preachers. So Chuck sees that and he says... I, I love God. He's a holy God. I fear Him. I reverence Him. I want all that He has for me. But that doesn't at all seem like God to me. I want nothing to do with that. That's demonic. I want nothing to do with that. So do you see how Satan could use the perversions to keep somebody honestly seeking from ever receiving? That's just one of the ways. I just believe that, that Satan battles very, very hard against it. I'm going to close... Uh, some, some of the things we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead, y'all. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The perversions of the baptism. Who is it for? How do you receive? Why do some receive right away? And some people, some Christians, and I've known her, prayed for five and ten years before they received. Um, what are the evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so forth? But I just wanted to close with uh, D.L. Moody. I mentioned Tory, who was a contemporary of his. He was... And he's one of my favorites, okay? D.L. Moody, and uh, he was a Baptist, and he loved the Lord, and he was a great evangelist. And he's the one that his Sunday school teacher led him to the Lord. D.L. Moody was selling shoes in a shoe store, and his Sunday school teacher came to visit him one day and brought him in the back room. And, and he was already a Sunday school teacher of the, of the young man, but he knew Moody wasn't born again. He led him to the Lord. Moody became this great preacher of the Lord and he went around the world and Europe and all kinds of places preaching and some ladies some older ladies came up and talked to him at the end of one of his services and they said Mr. Moody we love you we love your ministry God's using you so greatly you certainly are a wonderful preacher but if you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit you would really be what God all that God wants you to be and instead of getting mad about that, he could have got offended. And he says, well, I'm moody. And look at all the people here listening to me. He began to pray about it. and said, Lord, if it's from you, I want it. He humbled himself. He was getting ready to uh, get on a, a, a ship and go across the Atlantic Ocean. He was in New York City getting ready to go start a big crusade over in Europe. So he's waiting for the ship. And he's walking around Manhattan and downtown New York City. And he's praying, God, if this is you, I want it. I want everything that you have. I'll, for your glory, I want to be... If you can use me more mightily, then use me more mightily. And he said, God poured out His Spirit upon him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and God moved upon his life so greatly, and it started pouring down rain. He was out there soaking wet like a, you know, the, the wet dog in the middle of the street, walking around praying, filled with the Holy Ghost. He received the gift. He had a friend that lived in an apartment there, so he turned into his friend's apartment, and he finally went to the back room and finally after a long time said, God, you got to stay your hand. Stop. It's too much. The, the move of God upon his life. He was already born again. 
He already loved Jesus. He's no lesser of a Christian before or more of a Christian after. But he received a gift that God had for him. He was so thankful for it. And God used him even more greatly in the latter part of his life. I don't disrespect somebody that's not baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. It's not a question. I think about the greatest missionaries in the world. Y'all have been Baptist. Judson and Hudson Taylor and William Carey, the father of modern missions. I've read all their books. I love them. I totally respect them. I'm not one one hundredth of the, the servant of God that they are. They're not the standard, though. The Word of God is the standard. And the Word of God says he has a gift for his children. And what Carey, William Carey might have done had he been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not diminishing the man or belittling him or mocking him. I'm saying what could he have done had he been Hudson Taylor? My goodness. Has anybody been used to touch so many in China, China and all those inland churches he started that's still going on today because of that one man that God sent over there? But what if he had been baptized in the Holy Ghost? It's just Jesus didn't want them to leave Jerusalem until they would do it with power from on high. And he says, after that, that's when you're going to receive power. Power. Dunamis power. And miracle working power. That's when it's going to take place. That's when the world's going to take notice. That's when the world's going to listen. That's when your ministry's going to be effective. It won't be you doing it. It'll be the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus through your life and through your gospel and so forth. And maybe some of these other people uh, that I mentioned just... Uh, Maybe they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But their denominations weren't. I know that for sure. But I just want to close with that, y'all. Y'all can come on and and just thinking about that, y'all. We're going to talk about it more in the weeks ahead. I just don't want us in this church to be, in this day and age in which we live especially, I don't want us to ever be ashamed or intimidated or embarrassed or belittle or be even indifferent to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a gift from God. And I I want all that the Lord has for me. He wants it for His people.